Welcome to the Opposable Thumbs podcast. Opposable Thumbs is a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Dan Bustillo is our guest this week. Hi, thank you so much for having me. For sure. Uh, my name is Rob Ray. Uh, I run the Exoskeleton Art Space in Los Angeles and host infrequent art openings and events there. Um, I also run the Exoskeletal Newsletter, which is a less frequently sent email right now, but I'm trying to get one out next week. Uh, and I'm an experience director at an interactive agency here in Los Angeles. Uh, also, my uh, preferred gender pronoun is he and his. Uh, I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an educator and artist in Chicago, and uh, I think on sabbatical as of 48 hours ago. Whoop, whoop. Uh, so, so I have no excuses now when it comes to getting projects done. This is this is going to be my focus. Very <laughs> exciting. So, watch out, Rob. We gotta we gotta make us all academic like. Yes. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which I know you love. You you love nothing more than academic academia. <laughs> And, and Dan, would you, could you care to introduce yourself? Yes, yes. So my name is Dan Bustillo. Um, my preferred gender, uh, gender pronouns are the singular they, so he's neutral, gender neutral pronouns. Um, I am an artist and a writer, and I currently live and kind of uh, work out of Los Angeles. Uh, broadly speaking, my work addresses um, surveillance culture and power dynamics uh, through workshops and research. Um, I'm part of a collaborative uh, called the Best Friends Learning Gang, which I co-founded alongside my collaborator, Joey Canizero. Um, and the Best Friends Learning Gang is a pedagogical experiment that approaches education as like a collective decentralized activity um, where we host like expertless workshops, basically. basically. Uh, and I also work with the LA Crypto Crew, um, which teaches kind of encryption 101 and like very basic like dark web tutorials as in like how to use Tor. <laughs> Um, and how to send and receive encrypted emails. Um, yeah, so I think that's that's about it for our intro, and I'm really excited to be on this podcast. I mean, one thing I'd like to hear about right off the bat is um, when it comes to, it sounds like some of the stuff that you're doing is organized towards education, workshop, community mm-hmm. engagement, and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, do you think of that as your creative practice, or is it an outlet for other things that you would define as your creative practice? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I do think of that as my creative practice. Um, I think most of the work that um, I do now is uh, kind of organization-based in terms of like workshops. Um, and then the other outlet, so that's one outlet. And then the other outlet for similar kind of like concerns that I address in those workshops is um, has just been more kind of straightforward uh, writing research and, and, and writing Mm-hmm. Excellent. So, Rob, it occurs to me that I always make us wait for the big payoff. Should we go right to the inventions, or would you <laughs> like to hit Dan up with some more questions? Yeah, I, I have. Um, I mean, I, I guess I would say, um, Dan, it's it's great to have you on. I think for me, one when, when Taylor and I were first sort of sketching out the podcast, y- your work came to mind right away. Um, I think for obvious reasons. Um, through your work with the Best Friends Learning Gang, and uh, <laughs> just like your approach in general, I, I find like really kind of liberating in that um, when I think of your work, I think of um, it's a very smart work, but I feel like it's also like very much guided by your enthusiasm, and I, I, I find that super refreshing, and like 
I, I miss that a lot of times. I feel like when I go see an art show or see someone give a talk or even a workshop, you know, like I feel people get really caught up in sort of other components of, of what they do other than just like being really interested and excited about what they do. So it's, I've, I'm really psyched to have you on the podcast. Cause this was to me, like this podcast for me was sort of trying to tap into that with my, for myself. So, um, okay. yeah, so it's been really nice to, um, think about this podcast, but also sort of inspired by, um, your practice. So yeah, so it's cool. Um, yeah, let's, let's dive in. Yeah, so Rob, uh, why don't you go first this week? Oh. I think you never never get the chance to. Okay, <laughs> I'll go first. So I'm going to upload some photos. And Rob, I'm trying to remember, your, is your under, undergrad degree chemistry related or was it biology? Biology, yeah. But I imagine some of that intersects there. Did you have to take some chemistry classes? Yeah, bi- biochem is known as being the sort of most, one of the most brutal classes for a biology yeah. person just because it's it's like hard chemistry plus biology. So, um, uh, I too am a biology person. <laughs> yeah. Totally not a robot. I'm also made of biological matter. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why would you ask this question? <laughs> yeah. The Turing test. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we passed. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, give me just one second. So, dear, dear listeners, nothing is as thrilling as not only watching somebody navigate through their finder, but to do so uh, in an entirely <laughs> audio landscape. Yes. <laughs> Although often when it happens well, visually, it might as well be audio. Like, there's there's often that yeah, moment, right? you know, during like a talk or something, or when someone's about to give a presentation, and the projector doesn't sync up or someone hasn't gone into their system preferences and selected, you know, mirror, uh, um, right. uh, and, and rather than like, kind of like leap up to, um, assist, um, everyone tends to sit and watch as if something different would happen this time, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> but nothing, uh-huh. nothing ever does. <laughs> so there, there must be something that, that we're all kind of waiting for <laughs> some unexpected results. Dan, I, I would like to ask you a question while we're waiting for Rob's material. Um, and it's funny, I don't know if it's just, you know, there's people whose work we're attracted to, and then they wind up, I'm, I'm just seeing a lot of similarities with the different people that we've had on. But one thing that I'm hearing just on the surface with your work is the combination of some pretty serious technical material, like with the uh, cryptography, but then also, um, or, or am I using the term wrong there with the cryptographic? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, it's generous. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, uses of tour and all that, but then the fact clearly the name of your um, super friends uh, could you could you say it best again? friends <laughs> the best friends learning gang? <laughs> yes, yeah, so, so so I enjoy how that is informative about the content to be found within, but is also completely disarming right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And I was curious, you know, is that was that an intentional bid on your part to diffuse some of the kind of uptightness and serious seriousness surrounding technology? Yes, uh, entirely. And that's something that I think um, is brought to both kind of like initiatives. Like with the Best Friends Learning Gang, we intentionally, when we chose that name, we wanted something that would just kind of weed out anybody who had very kind of like rigid expectations of, of what a workshop might be um, and was kind of like down for something ridiculous and what in, in, a, in, a, 
wild in like a, a positive sense. Um, uh -huh. And with uh, um, and with the um, crypto crew, uh, initially we were inspired by actual crypto parties, and since we hadn't um, noticed or like heard of any uh, crypto parties in LA, like mainly we'd heard of ones that were in the Bay or in Berlin or in New York. Um, Mm -hmm. I really wanted to host one in LA, but I wanted to host one like not as someone who was an expert in encryption, but as an artist who was interested in like the ways in which encryption could be thought of um, as affecting, for instance, different communities differently um, and how that kind of like really connected or could connect just all of us um, in terms of communications ideology to a broader surveillance landscape. Um, but so I, I wanted to kind of emphasize just a, a more quotidian and like social connection over um, technical competency or, or, you know, or dominance. Right. Um, whereas like, because I probably wouldn't even be admitted to like a hardcore crypto party where, where I have to like present, you know, my, my public key written on like a piece of paper at the door so someone can physically verify that I am the person I say I am. Um, <laughs> like I probably wouldn't even like yeah. make it through the door. So, um, so basically in the, in the crypto crew, there are three of us, um, uh, Profi, who also, we all kind of change our names, um, except for Taze, who's trying to build up, uh, crypto cred. Um, but so Taze, Profi and I, Taze, um, Profi is more of a, like he comes from a computer science background. So he brings more of the technical kind of proficiency to the workshops. Um, mm -hmm. Taze brings a lot of, uh, a lot of flair and I tend to be like the amateur historian. So I try to offer, like I usually do the talk, like kind of some kind of intro beforehand that offers some alternative or tangentially related history to encryption or privacy, um, just in case, just to bring something uh, to challenge, like whatever parameters we're trying to think through things through. Oh man, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I just, I want to hear one of those lectures right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, like, is, is there, yeah, is there, is there a tidbit you could share that you think makes a nice little nugget? The, so the history of Taha would be, would be one that, that is kind of interesting. Taha, who um, uh, offers a, a very distinct way of thinking about um, information and um, hiding information or like stealth when it comes to information. Um, Taha, are either of you familiar with the story of Taha? No, I'm not. Uh, no, please, please go so, on. Um, so Taha, uh, we come to like hear of Taha from uh, the 1700s in France. And apparently he was born to a um, very modest family who lived in the countryside. And he had a, like a voracious appetite. And by the time he was 17, he ate so much that his family could no longer afford to keep him under their roof. So they um, asked him to leave. Um, so <laughs> kicked him out. <laughs> um, so he starts to kind of like wander around at the age of 17. And I think he joins the like the circus at some point. Um, and but the thing with his appetite is that it's not, it far surpasses any kind of like, you know, tale someone might have heard of like a really intense appetite. I mean, he, according to, to um what we've, what we can kind of access now, and I think one person did document Tahar's life as much as best as you possible as you can in this case. Um, but Tahar apparently would have such an intense hunger that his like his um, his uh, he he couldn't control it. So he would he could eat absolutely anything, and with no regard to like physics, like he could eat glass, he could eat metal, he could eat like wax. Um, 
And so he would kind of ravage dumpsters and like gorge cats, you know, like this is, uh, and he could eat pounds and pounds of, of, of like just anything he could find. There's really a question was filling his stomach until his stomach would expand to a sufficient, I guess, like uh, level. His eyes would kind of like glot, like glaze over and he would, ah, there we go, ta-da. And he would be satisfied. Um, so the military like um, gets a hold of, of his story and decides to use him to smuggle um, messages across enemy lines since he's kind of like a human like <laughs> container for encryption, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, but of course, during the test run, so they ask him to, they run tests on him first where he, he was asked to kind of like um, eat like intense amounts of like raw intestines to see how much he could stomach. And he was pretty much a bottomless pit in that way. Um, so then they asked him to eat, to swallow a wooden box. And inside the wooden box, there was a piece of paper with some secret, top secret confidential message that he had to smuggle across enemy lines alone. But he, he gets caught in the process. And of course, as they're keeping him for questioning, I guess, uh, well, digestion takes place. And so he kind of caves and tells them, no, I was asked to swallow this wooden box with a message. They don't believe him. Then of course he poops out the wooden box and which <laughs> turns out to be in the stomach or have been in the stomach. And there is like a white piece of paper with a message that says much to everyone's dismay, like this is a test. Um, <laughs> right, and that kind right. of ended his stint in the military. <laughs> uh, wow. Oh man, that's, that's fantastic. Wow. It's <laughs> a different way of thinking about encryption. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, no, I'm always, yeah, I'm always interested in how, of course, the notion of digital media, you know, goes back quite some time and is really fabric and textile oriented. But um, I saw some great thing go on uh, by online, and I don't know what the portal was, so this might just be BuzzFeed, but it was something about um, little old ladies that were, um, that would sit in their windows and and knit scarves, right? And I I forget which war it was during, but the idea is that they would... um, uh, make maps of the train schedules uh, in occupied territory by dropping stitches and having this, you know, prearranged code. And then they would give the scarves to young servicemen, you know, just seeming like they were interested in keeping them warm. But uh, anyway, yeah, I need, I need to, I'll try to find a source for that so that we can post it. Yeah, cool. Um, and it, there's a really interesting history of kind of the role of um, spies and especially, especially amongst like um, seemingly invisible people who tended and have tended, in his, like historically speaking, to be women. Um, so in this case, like, you know, kind of uh, innocent old ladies knitting, um, but the same way um, uh, in the 17th century, like uh, women uh, in, like, not just kind of like women, uh, noble women, but also like shopkeepers or women who worked in shops who would uh, smuggle messages or encrypt messages um, in like with artichoke juice or, or in eggs also. So they could go to the market right. and you know swap out uh, code or you know messages this way. So I'm going to upload three images. They're all the mm-hmm. roughly the same, just like a little bit slightly different. <laughs> so uh, right off the bat. Uh, and uh, Dan, do I do I detect the classic Homer bucket? Is that your read on this uh, orange cylinder that we're seeing here? That, yeah, that, that, that I think that's accurate. Um, is this a homemade toilet that I'm looking at? 
because the scale like <laughs> the scale kind of threw me off for a minute. I was like, oh, the, I first noticed that there's a white roll, or look, it looks like a, like a roll of of you know white paper, but it's like a little bit too large to be toilet paper. And I was going to say, oh, that looks like toilet paper until I then, and that brought my attention to another bucket right. that is beneath like a a wooden uh, what sheet that seems to like overlap the bucket with a nice little like toilet lid or what appears to be a toilet lid also made out of wood. So it, yeah, all of a sudden it does look very much like a homemade toilet. And uh, some of the other details that I'm finding really um, attractive, you know, as, as somebody working with a lot of computer-aided fabrication, I always delight when somebody just makes something with, you know, kind of by hand with available tools. And so the lid is kind of uh, the second image in particular. You know, you can see where it was sort of carved out with a jigsaw or something, and then the screws are all off-center, and that's somehow that makes it that much more adorable. <laughs> I, I find this to be a very cute toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It is a wonderful toilet. And interestingly, I mean, what's kind of cool about the um, the screws off center and everything seeming to read as like uh, amateur-ish in some way, or but more importantly, uh, potentially not stable. <laughs> so then it really challenges right. challenges me to question like, oh, would, would could I actually use this as a toilet? Would I trust this as a toilet? <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't used it yet, so it, it is a good. <laughs> I, I I sort of tested usability, but I I didn't go all the way. <laughs> <laughs> one or two, Rob. One or two. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess what I'm seeing is I'm having some trouble figuring out if the lid is hinged, and I guess that's just the angles of the um, uh, the angles of the shot. And then the Homer bucket appears to be full of sawdust, but I'm assuming. When Rob talks about it, maybe it's going to be more complex than that. Yep, no, um, uh, it is no more complex than that. It is honest. Wow, mm-hmm. indeed. And so, so is this a composting toilet? Is that what's uh, the the intention here? It, it is. It's a what I what I have learned come to learn as a what they call a dry toilet, um, mm-hmm. which where composting. So yeah, it's a it's a roughly twenty inch by eighteen inch cube with a circular mm-hmm. hole. Dr- uh, cut in the top with a lid, uh, and then there's a, a bucket of saw, and there's an orange bucket down inside the cube uh, that you can um, poop in, and uh, <laughs> there's a roll of toilet paper for your uh, sanitary use, and and a, a additional orange bucket of sawdust, and uh, it's what a, called a dry. It's called a dry toilet. Uh, a dry toilet is composting itself does not happen in the toilet, so. Um, there's no breakdown of materials or additional um, bacteria or anything added to the mixture to um, begin the composting process inside the bucket. It's really just meant to collect your poop uh, for for use in a compost uh, pile somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, this week's or this episode's challenge is homemade chemicals. Uh, <laughs> So I was trying to think about all sorts of different homemade chemicals, and then I sort of got to thinking about how I make chemicals. And uh, as a biology person, <laughs> yes, yes, as a biology person. And um, so I was like, oh, I could, I, I, I think it would be interesting to try composting my own poop. Um, and and pea waste also and just sort of see what that's like and and set up maybe a separate compost 
pile we have a compost bin now but to sort of see how that goes and and um i don't know see see what happens so there's a little bit of follow-up perhaps in a few months that could happen to sort of see where i'm at but um i read in researching this project i read a really cool book called the human newer handbook uh mm. by joseph jenkins he wrote the book in the mid 90s i think i looked at the second edition which i think is 1999 um and i had i had used a dry toilet before um a really cool like design and build group called simpark in chicago um has built a little kind of off the grid residency space in utah um, connected to the Center for Land Use Interpretation, and there's a dry toilet there. And so that that was my first sort of use of it. And I was shocked at, like, kind of how well it worked and how not smelly it was and stuff. So um, I thought, like, well, you know, I could probably have one in my backyard and it actually won't, you know, be this, like, fly magnet and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And I read this... I also read a really interesting uh, academic paper called... The Characterization of Feces and Urine, a Review of the Literature to Inform Advanced Treatment Technology. <laughs> wow. Uh, and it, well, really an gets, it really gets into the, the chemical makeup and biological makeup of what, what poop is uh, from around the world. Like they did a sort of comparative study of like what is different poop like in different animals and what is different poop like in different cultures and different countries, um, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. And I'll link to that stuff in show notes. Um, and I also looked a little bit into Buckminster Fuller has like a kind of Dymaxion toilet. Um, but he kind of missed the mark a little bit. Like he has uh, this toilet that is a dry toilet, but it is essentially like, um, like a foil pack that you poop into. And then you like wrap up the foil and then throw the foil into a sort of, uh, compost bin that your city would pick up, you know, to use, but he didn't go for composting in the backyard. He, he was a he was kind of a city fellow as I I think of him so maybe that he didn't really have a backyard but I'm pi- I'm picturing his toilet to be geodesic in nature as well which would yeah, yes complicate things yeah oh man that would be so cool <laughs> yeah so so yeah so I I went for the composting toilet I I have or a dry toilet I haven't used it yet uh, but I do I did order but I haven't got it yet like a little nitrogen and carbon testing kit so I thought I could do some studies to see like how much uh, nitrogen and carbon are in my compost pile and kind of how that, that goes. Um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, I learned a lot about poop, uh, <laughs> which was really, really cool. Um, uh, there, there is actually more nitrogen in pee than there is in poop, which I, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so if you're trying to add nitrogen to your compost pile, just peeing in your compost pile occasionally can really help. Um, and so the sawdust, uh, so to talk about a failure, that sawdust is a sawdust I should not be using. I went to a, the home store looking for like um, maybe sawdust chips or something like that in the garden section, and they didn't have any. And so I was like, oh, I'll just... And so I asked like four or five different people at the home store if they had sawdust, and everyone gave me a different answer. But then the fourth person was like, oh, just just come to the back and we'll fill you a bucket full from the, where we do all of our cuts. And I was like, okay, awesome. And then I realized when I got home, like that sawdust is full of like pressure treated lumber, pressure treated lumber. Exactly. And like other, um, like, uh, adhesive from plywood and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, poop, it would be the the least of my problems in this compost bin if I use this (laughs) uh, as compost. So, 
So yeah. uh, I need to get some different sawdust in order to actually use it. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Good job, Rev. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> that is amazing. I remember, it's interesting to, um, to think also about uh, kind of the history of poop, um, like poop and pee, basically, um, in relation to uh, uh, sanitation and sanitation technologies and like kind of urban development, like out, like, so not just for kind of like uh, fertilizer, for instance, you know, um, for gardens, but uh, also within like, like structures. Um, and I'm reminded of like pre-enlightenment, like uh, uh, London, and I think Edinburgh also was, was, um, was known, I think Edinburgh was like known as like Old Ricky. Um, and the name, it was, it was thought of in that way before it kind of like blossomed during the Enlightenment because like people would toss uh, their pot chambers directly from like their, you know, windows to the streets. And so Old Ricky, mm-hmm. like, and I think London was also had a similar nickname, like Stinky, like Old Stinky or something like this. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, uh, so Dan, would you care to go next? What do you think? Oh, um, sure. Let's see. Or, or would you like to go last? I'm, I'm prepared, so you call it. Oh no, I can, I can, uh, I can go. Let's see. I will, um, share. Cool. Well, that's uploading. I, I have two quick links just to share uh, while those mm-hmm. uploads are happening. One is Joe Jenkins. Is this person on YouTube has a video called "The Lovable Lou," which is really funny and <laughs> and and good. And he has like a very deadpan sense of humor. So it's nice to hear him talking about this stuff he has some like dry toilets in his cabins and stuff but then also um nancy clem uh, is a pretty cool oh, uh, sure. plant person in chicago um and her website is called spontaneous vegetation and she has all sorts of cool projects um attached to um using uh different you know things we think of as waste um, whether it's human waste or or used tires or whatnot to um uh in to sort of repurpose that stuff and so uh I'll, I'll link to her site in show notes as well. Yeah, I, I worked with her many years ago. Uh, my wife and I did. We took this uh, camping battery around, and we're doing slide lectures in public parks. Oh, cool. Uh, so it's, it's cool to hear her name pop back up again. Yeah, yeah. That, was a lot, that was like 15 years ago or something. Yeah, her work is great. Aha, I see a link. Now I'm going to add one more, but that one will be a good okay. place to start. Yeah, so Rob, I'm looking at the link. Uh, I'm going to start with the images. Okay. Where I'm seeing um, uh, some kind of maybe a, a stainless uh, kettle or something like that with um, uh, styrofoam. You can see all the little um, cylindrical or rather uh, spherical beads of styrofoam. Yep. And are we adding acetone? Is that what we're seeing there? Yes. Mm-hmm. Whoa, far out. So it's looking like making a type of plastic. Rob, what are you picking up there? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, the acetone is like a looks like about a half gallon or a quart or something, and there's some foam, and it's in a stainless steel pot. There's some use of rubber gloves or vinyl gloves, which seems smart. Um, well done, well done. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, oh cool. Yeah, there's like a whoa, that's really neat. There's a okay, yeah. There's like a turkey frying, a turkey cooking pan. Uh, that is looks like holding a mold or maybe that's what's being used as a receptacle in some way. Uh, oh, it's biodegradable plastic. Whoa, that's so, so I think, cool. I think these are these are two different kinds, right? Because it looks like the first one is listed as acetone and styrofoam, but then the second one is milk and vinegar. Wow, I had no idea. 
All right. Uh, let's see. So it, also with the images, it looks to me like, as is so frustratingly common, the, the biodegradable one doesn't seem to have that same excellent consistency. You know, the first one really looks like taffy or something. Um, and then the second one appears to maintain a little bit of its uh, chunky nature. Uh, interesting. And then do we, there's another link here. Dan, is that um, right? Yeah, there's a microwave-looking object that uh, is looking very threatening. So, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, m- microwaves on the floor are always suggestive of some, uh, mm-hmm. some uh, skulldudgery going on. <laughs> so, yeah, Dan, tell, tell us about your experiences. So the, um, the first one that you described uh, that was a Best Friends Learning Gang amateur on uh, plastic, and it was actually our very first amateur hour. Um, that came out of um, a discussion. This is actually pretty much how the Best Friends Learning Gang came to be. Um, I was having a discussion with a friend of mine, and I was describing some like experiment or project I was working on, where I was trying to like um, uh, like make. Oh, I think I was trying to make like sonify magnets, but like hide magnets within kind of cutlery, so that people would just like accidentally kind of like make sounds while you know uh, eating. Um, mm-hmm. and so my, my collaborator, Joey was like, Oh, well, how are you going to do that? Do you know how to do that? And I was like, well, no, I'll just figure it out. And so then mm-hmm. we had this long conversation about like figuring things out, um, and this like DIY and, uh, approach and disregard for kind of like, um, the hierarchies or, or, um, that we kind of like internalize from professionalism. Um, and then from that idea, we decided to host like a weekly, workshop where we would just like get together and and tackle or like take on a different um uh like topic basically and and learn how to do something that we didn't know how to do and that's kind of how the best friends learning game came to be and so our very first workshop came out of uh joey um who wanted to learn um he felt that he had his like he felt a little like hung up or intimidated by sculptors and he knew nothing about sculpture and he really wanted to work with plastic so we decided that we would try and figure out how to make plastic. Um, and so that's what you were describing was basically kind of like documentation from our very first amateur hour on making plastic. And so we just kind of got a bunch, we sent out like an email to folks and um, people showed up at, uh, in this case, this was Joey's house. Um, and we got uh, as many materials as we could um, for as cheap as we could. Um, and attempted to make, like, by consulting, you know, the gods of the internet, um, tried to make two different versions of plastic. One was, like, highly toxic, um, and the other one was biodegradable. Um, And so the highly toxic one turned out pretty wonderful. We made um, all different kinds of, like, molds, and people made things that they... Actually, I think one person at least incorporated what they made at that workshop into an already existing or ongoing project they were working on. And the second version, which was the biodegradable plastic, um, ended up looking like cottage cheese. Um, and one of our, someone brought a dog to the workshop and the dog, um, ate, uh, the, what the dog thought was <laughs> cottage cheese, which I'm sure was fine. <laughs> um, since everything seems, I mean, it's, it's basically just like milk and, and, and vinegar and applied heat. And then, it, so is it just like a like a super curdling? Is there, you know, does it smell? Or I'm I'm curious to hear more about uh, the sort of tangible 
<laughs> the, 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 how it activates the senses. <laughs> Interestingly enough, um, the biodegradable version didn't smell. Um, I mean, it, it did have kind of like a very like bio smell. I mean, I, I find milk to already have just um, have enough smell on its own to carry over into the kitchen. But somehow the vinegar like canceled out some of the milky smells. But it, I mean, this the smell that came from the biodegradable um, plastic, which really was not bad at all paled in comparison to like the very obvious toxicity of like the um the non-biodegradable uh plastic for a moment we kind of worried actually just because of the acetone i mean that like styrofoam is pretty like unmanageable but then the acetone having that many people kind of like hovered over you know a container and pouring acetone in it uh that that was yeah for, for a minute we kind of tested maybe the logics behind like um, hosting an amateur hour because it, it, it <laughs> like on the one hand it's really exciting and and you know it's easy to kind of like get into that that zone but there is some kind of responsibility or there might be as hosts you know with other people <laughs> in the space trusting us or we're trusting each other but we really have absolutely no idea if this is like causing brain cell damage <laughs> you know to people in sure, that, yeah. that group so um so some of the uh the questions that came out of this very first workshop, basically in terms of like trust also um, kind of led to the other one that you described uh, with the microwave. Um, so we really wanted to push the boundaries of what, um, what we could uh, kind of like do. I and mean, we had done everything from like uh, taxidermy to urban design um, uh, and um or fog machines, we had made uh, $1 projectors. I mean, these kinds of things are other things that we had done after the plastic workshop. Um, mm -hmm. But the idea of kind of like trusting each other uh, became really, uh, really important. So we put, we put out an open call basically um, to host a BFLG at, at Machine Project and welcomed all types of submissions. Um, but part of like the image that we used for the flyer was the, the microwave, which already came from like a, um, a failed attempt, but but really we're interested in failure also to make um, synthetic diamonds uh, in the microwave. Um, and we actually <laughs> blew up two microwaves <laughs> in the process. Um, but I mean, well, yeah, I mean, they are, they, they were unusable afterwards, which is kind of a, kind of a bummer. Um, but probably more alarming to the, the neighbors since we had to do this BFLG um, in the parking lot away from cars and away from, <laughs> homes also um sure but we had uh we had found um like some youtube uh tutorial on how to like make synthetic diamonds uh in the microwave um let's see if i can send you the link um and we really uh we really wanted to try it so we did and um it was a pretty fabulous disaster uh, we upload the youtube video so you can see the one that inspired us basically and there was a whole like we also then like found some of it in in a um, in a book um i think the book was called like blingy or something um so we then kind of like ordered that but in this um in this kind of like tutorial it takes forever but the idea is you can in theory make uh diamonds in the microwave with basically like peanut butter charcoal um and a lot a lot of like pressure um but our microwave couldn't, couldn't handle it Wow. So, so where does the pressure come from in that place? So in the, um, 
in the microwave, I think you have to kind of like, uh, you place like your charcoal inside like tons of peanut butter in, and then you place that inside of two like Pyrex uh, pans that you um, cover them with. And then you place that inside the microwave and that's supposed to, um, and you have to like microwave this for um, a long time. Um, and that's where I guess the pressure, uh, it somehow like applies sufficient pressure or it shouldn't be um, to kind of like force or mimic what would happen uh, in terms of like, you know, when, when coal, I guess, I guess the compression process for diamonds, like uh, outside of the synthetic microwave peanut butter and charcoal version would be like how coal turns to diamonds through um, like pressure mm -hmm. on, on organic matter. Sure. Yeah, you know, it reminds me, um, and perhaps you already investigated this, but I think that there's a there's a little foundry kit you can get. It's a foundry in a microwave, and I'm not sure how they get around putting huh. the metal in there. Maybe it's just a particular kind of metal. Hmm. I mean, I'm, I assume you guys have put metal in microwaves like I have, and you get that crazy, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, crazy result. But but they, they were talking about how you need to get a um, a restaurant grade microwave because those are intended to run for you know multiple hours. Uh -huh. On a time, so I don't know if you if you guys were using just like a conventional household microwave, but maybe that's where some of the problems came from. You're, you know, you're probably right. We were using um, five dollar microwaves from Goodwill, so we yeah. probably, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, um, <laughs> staying within the amateur budget. Also, <laughs> I'm sure it has its limitations, yep. but you're you're right. Yes. Using a, an industrial or an industry Good. kind of standard uh, microwave, far better. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and it's not it's not to say it was a bad. A bad job by any means. I'm just trying to think of when I've encountered microwaves. Uh, the other story I've got is a friend of mine claimed that he figured out how to defeat the um, the lockout on the door. So he he just take a microwave and just point it at something. And he was talking about being out in a field and pointing this defeated, you know, this prepared microwave at a nail sticking out of a board and like catching the board on fire or something. Uh, so I'll have to see. I'll have to see if he has oh. any documentation oh, I can wow. throw online. But yeah, it, sa it sounded like there is some really um, dangerous... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's funny, right, that you can buy this, like, what's a essentially a ray gun for $5 yeah, I was gonna say, at the thrift store. I was going to say it sounds like yeah. a death ray, or like a microwave yeah, version yeah, of a death yeah, ray. Yeah, totally. I had heard... I think it probably not focusable, but dangerous nonetheless. I, I'm sorry, go, go ahead, go ahead, Dan. Oh, no, I, I was going to say I'd heard of a similar project um, that some person who was like... I don't know, getting uh, like his master's, I think, in physics. Um, but he also had like ran some like blog uh, where he would post uh, different things that he was trying at home. And one of those things was um, a homemade death ray by um, salvaging like the Fresno lens from an old TV. Um, mm. And then he made this like really powerful death ray and proceeded to then like melt pennies um, to test it yeah. and then I think cooked like eggs and like called his kids over to like test the eggs or like eat the eggs that he had cooked with his Fresno with his death ray <laughs> oh, I can't wait till my kids old enough to participate in my in my bad ideas yeah that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have a question about the 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 gross plastic I guess the one made with acetone and styrofoam mm -hmm. was it um how how i mean i it's very intriguing like in a like if you can mold that stuff successfully it seems like it, there's a lot of possibility just around like making 
um, instead of like a 3D printed plastic object, making a plastic object that is more sort of um, formed like a kind of wet clay sculpture or something. I guess the same holds true with with the biodegradable plastic. And I was just curious like about the properties of each and sort of how you felt like they could be used to to make like to make a sculpture in a, in a way that Joey felt threatened by. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, I think ethically we're probably more drawn to the biodegradable, but the synthetic one sure. definitely um, like in terms of like functionality would have uh, worked probably best uh, because of its malleability. Yeah. Like it's very easy to kind of um, get things to look exactly the way you want them. Plus the fact that like, I mean, if, if for some reason you happen to have lots of styrofoam around, what do you do with it? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, we, it just so happens that we did have a bunch of styrofoam laying around. I had found a bunch like, um, that had been kind of tossed and like, uh, and so that's, that was also kind of like a, a one possible, like, you know, uh, outlet for, for, um, managing something that would, we would just toss, I guess, otherwise, or we would toss. Um, but yeah, in terms of properties, I guess, you know, the synthetic plastic, it, it, like in our application at least, was way more appealing to like make work with. Um, but I'm sure that with some tweaks and like by maybe like rehearsing or like perfecting the biodegradable one, you could make um, pretty cool things. I had seen like in our research or like during the Best Friends Learning Gang basically, um, we came across like people who made all kinds of jewelry and, and like actual objects with their biodegradable plastic that looked great. Yeah, that's cool. Excellent. There's um the reason I asked about that is because there's um there's a really cool podcast out of Los Angeles called Root Simple. It's um uh Eric Newton and Kelly Coyne and they interviewed um I think his title is master recycler or something. Uh, he's the Burbank. He runs the Burbank recycling program and his interview is totally amazing. I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, uh, his name's Cray Hample and he, he talks about recycling styrofoam and that like, it's not actually recycled how we think of recycling. They really just sort of put it through a wood chipper and get it down into this sort of reusable size as opposed to, treating it in any way or something like that um and uh uh it was quite fascinating just to see like oh like what you think about recycling isn't isn't totally accurate you know and like Mm -hmm. could you actually reuse something like styrofoam could you make something as like disposable as the styrofoam pieces from your new macbook pro and turn it into an art object that you actually would never want to throw away you know like like could you actually take that so i don't know i was kind of compelled by that when i saw this like goopy plasticky stuff coming out the other side um that looked really cool so anyway um yeah thanks that's that's neat yeah have you guys are you guys familiar with um I'm totally drawing a blank on the artist's name but they did this great piece where there's this huge hopper full of plastic pellets and then it would just extrude a big pile down onto a onto a, a belt and then feed it along. So it just would sit there and automatically make these sculptures that were sort of piled up. They look like toothpaste, but, you know, oh, like a wow. 200 pounds of toothpaste. I uh, The the name, I, I will find it and, and post it up there. But, yeah, I think there's some really nice stuff that doesn't necessarily 
like on the one hand you expect plastics to be really functional right but that was just letting them be goopy and gross and staying that way as it's in its conversion to art objects yeah not a ballpoint Uh, pen but just a blob of stuff that's cool Yeah. yeah yeah uh great okay should i show you guys my pictures here yeah yeah okay so i just have four pictures for you let's get these up online And this is all this is all hot off the presses. I was um I tried Ooh. to do this once and failed. Uh and so this was like me running around today buying chemicals at uh Lowe's and stuff, you know, just a couple of hours ago. <laughs> awesome. First of all, it seems to be kind of like a lay, an image that lays out materials that will be used. So I see like a white bucket, um some uh gloves, some goggles, a glass, what I think might be hydrogen peroxide. Um, mm. And muriatic yep. acid, a large um, container of muriatic acid. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. And then in the second photo, if you want, we can trade off. In the second photo, there looks to be a copper plate and three, there's, it looks like sharpied onto this. The copper plate's maybe the size of an index card, um, maybe a little bit smaller, but credit card to index card size. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, I think it's Taylor seems to be wearing a very heavy duty industrial rubber glove <laughs> uh, uh, and he's holding a plate and sharpied onto the plate uh, is three sort of lines or kind of nodes. And the first one says signal. The second one in the middle says power. And then at the bottom of the plate is one that says ground. Mm-hmm. And then it seems that that same uh, copper plate has been placed into some chemical, uh, some container with maybe some chemicals in it, and it's like immersed in it. Um, and then the last one, it seems that that, like, I'm assuming might be some kind of etching process, um, because then the board is like, oh. the Sharpie is wiped off and the what, yes. what was um, marked as signal power and ground is now etched in copper. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so um, so this was something I had tried a couple of years ago and couldn't get to work, uh, and I have to just say I was shamelessly hitting up Instructables for this process, and, and my, my initial idea was to try and work with a material I hadn't seen before, and so I started looking at uh, gallium. So I've got this background in foundry, but for, you know, some of the more, um, permanent metals like bronze and, you know, steel and things like that, um, or bronze and aluminum rather. Uh, so I was interested in seeing gallium, which you can, um, if you just heat it with your hand, it reaches its melting temperature. Oh. And so there, there are these cool tutorials where you would take a, um, just a little, I don't know if this particular instructable covers it. Cause I watched some videos too. But you'd mix some gelatin, like just straight up jello gelatin, and then cast a key, an existing house key, into that gelatin, and then take that out, and then just heat up some gallium. I think its melting point is like 85 degrees or something. So you'd pour it in there, 
And then as long as it wasn't too hot on your way to the door you wanted to open, <laughs> like, you, like you wouldn't want to keep it in your pocket. But, um, but apparently it's, it's, you know, um, it's beefy enough to do that. But then the problem I found, of course, was that they didn't want to send gallium in the mail through anything but the slowest possible UPS ground, so, so I couldn't get it in time. Uh, and then, so, so the, the recipe here is really simple. You just take muriatic acid, which is used for um, cleaning or to resetting pool pH, but also for etching brick and concrete to prepare it for painting. Oh, yeah. And yep. so this is something I was kind of surprised to find. I mean, you just get it anywhere. It's really cheap. I think this, I got like a gallon for eight bucks or something like that. And then um, you just combine that in a really simple ratio by volume. So it's one part, one part muriatic acid to two parts um, hydrochlor. Uh, wait, I'm sorry. What was that I have there again? <laughs> Dan, you Peroxide? have it. I, for, I forget. Peroxide, yeah. So, so my understanding, and, and this is not, I don't understand it super well, but I believe the peroxide is just there to sort of aerate uh, the muriatic acid. Oh. And then once you introduce copper, so you guys were defined, describing as a copper plate, I think slightly more accurately, it's, it's a copper clad um, plastic, right? So that when yeah. you etch some of the copper away, um, you're isolating traces. Uh, so yeah, so it was, it was research for me just trying to figure out not really having worked with this stuff before and trying to learn some of the safe practices like, um, do like you oughta add acid to water. <laughs> oh, not, not uh, the would, opposite, not adding water well, to acid. Well, and see this cause so, so do you guys, is it liquor before beer <laughs> in the clear or liquor then beer? In the clear. Or do you see what I mean? I, I think that's the wrong example, but that always confused me because I felt like you could turn it over and it still worked in the rhyme. Anyway, uh -huh. so so it, uh, apparently th this is just something, it's not a chemical thing, but it's like if you pour the acid into the water, you're less likely to splash the water out. Um, whereas if the acid goes in first, right. I guess that's more of a safety risk. And I had to do stuff like, you know, these are, I think, nitro trial gloves or, you know, so verifying I, I had that first uh spoiler alert but the first couple episodes of breaking bad right there's a really specific discussion about um melting a body in a particular kind of plastic tub mm -hmm. and then they get the wrong plastic number and it you know and shit hits the fan so um yeah so you know trying to do due diligence and do this safely but it was pretty straightforward i just did it outside it fumed a little bit when the two uh, fluids went together, but I was surprised how fast it worked. You know, so I just threw the um, the little copper panel in there. I think it was only in there about twelve minutes, and I sort of agitated it a bit. But once um, the majority of the copper was gone, you could really you could almost watch it dissolving. It 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 kind of went faster and faster as it goes. Um, so the thing with this stuff apparently is that, and I'm forgetting the chemical name for it, but it'll continue to work and it'll get greener and greener. And then once it gets sort of sludgy and brown, you can just update it a little bit by blowing more air through it. So apparently you can just stick like a um, an aquarium pump in there, huh. uh, or or put a little bit new, a little bit more hydrogen peroxide in, and occasionally add a little bit more acid. So it's ki it's kind of indefinite, but then eventually you'll wind up with a bunch of copper salts that you have to get, um, you know, professionally disposed by the city or something like that. Oh. Yeah, because so, um, the copper goes into solution, I guess, at, uh, yes. from the combination mm -hmm. of muriatic acid. and Yeah, that's cool. Wow. 
Yeah, and that's why it turns uh, green like that. Yeah, I saw um, that green, and I was like, man, those two chemicals turn super green when you put them together. But yeah. what what's happening instead <laughs> is the copper is going into solution into that. It's, it's clear, though, when it starts, the two, when you combine them. Yeah, yeah. So you put them together. Uh, uh, Dan was describing there's a little glass vessel, because this, this stuff is really aggressive on um, metals. But as far as I can tell... There's no plastics that it eats, but you know, I wouldn't, I would not take my word for it. Uh-huh. Um, so I was, you know, I was trying to do some basic internet research, but ultimately had to remind myself, you know, it's one thing to research, like, I don't know, like recently I was researching uh, the best way to roll up my new uh, warlock character in Dungeons and Dragons, and you know, I, I can get different views from different people online, and that's fine. But if I just, you know, go with one. View, you know some guy in instructables i have to remind myself like if i if i put this these two chemicals together and they blow up <laughs> that's <laughs> that's on nobody but me yep. um so yeah so there was interesting stuff to read about like i guess um the safety warning i think you're supposed to flush it with water and then cover the area with baking soda to um um to uh to halt the acidity yeah uh so that was kind of cool to, to get some indications about that. So, so now I've got this material. It's just in this sealable bucket. And then presumably I can use it sort of in perpetuity. But I am going to have to, um, you know, treat it with respect and then uh, dispose it correctly at some point. Yeah. Yeah, that's really that's really cool. Label it with something so that nobody <laughs> opens it and <laughs> tries to wash something. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, the the first time around I had it in a Gatorade bottle, and this time it's been upgraded to a, a, a vessel that I can make very clear. <laughs> yeah, because when you put it in the Gatorade bottle, I mean, it's just bright green. It looks totally like Gatorade. Ooh. Um, kind of a, a, a Putin-esque, um, uh, you know, dangerous implement there. Yeah. Because um, what was his thing? Didn't uh, Wasn't there some suggestion that Russia tried to assassinate a guy by putting, like, a radioactive isotope in his... Uh, take out sushi or something. Do you guys remember this story? Whoa. Uh, but but apparently there was something like you know there were there were maybe five people on Earth that could actually get this stuff because it had to fall out of a like an actual nuclear power plant, <laughs> and so it was one of those ways where you know it was basically a state actor saying we are a state actor attacking you because nobody else could get this really bizarre um, and unusual element. I'll see if I can find that story for the Yeah, yeah, it sounds sounds worth reading for sure. Do you Taylor, do you feel like the So it's a so it's a a copper clad board and just to uh mm-hmm. suss that out a little bit. That I think of as a like a fiberglass panel with mm-hmm. copper a copper layer, I guess glued or something. I don't know how they attach the two lay down on top of it. And then where you drew on the Sharpie, the the etchant doesn't doesn't uh, hit that part of the copper so the copper stays. And so where you wrote signal power in ground, you now have copper, but where you hadn't written right. anything, all that copper's disappeared, right? Right, and this this is laid out to... Um, I was thinking about making some little breadboardable PCBs that represent common circuits that I... Yeah. So I have a little drawing of the um, the circuit diagram for an NPN transistor, like a TIP120, yeah, and I think I think I have that drawing like in fifty different places in my notes. <laughs> I just draw, I was I mean I was even thinking about getting a tattoo of it. It just comes up so commonly. Yeah, and so I I thought this could be a cool way to um, take something that doesn't have to look beautiful, but it's sort of a little, uh, like you were saying, like a little credit card 
that not only has a functioning circuit on it, but that also I can just write my notes sort of on the card itself. Oh. So in this case, the traces the traces are formed of functioning. You know, the letters are actually forming the functional part of the circuit. That's really cool. Yeah, like a circuit ner- circuit ner- notebook that is the boards. That's neat. Yes. Yeah, wow. That's yeah, really cool. That was the idea. Do you feel like that a copper that was remaining could... Did it did it work? I guess did, like do you feel like there's enough copper there left that it it um you could make a board out of the you could make a circuit out of the oh, board sure. you made? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So so the other things I was looking at apparently you can uh you can make a layout in one of the free programs like Eagle or something and then print it out using a laser printer and you actually print onto magazine pages. So depending on where you go like Hackaday or whatever you know, one guy says, oh, the Atlantic works the best or the, you know, New Yorker or the New York Times Sunday Magazine or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so you're actually trying to find a glossy page and then you tape that onto a standard piece of paper and then make your laser print. And then the material kind of wants to fall off if you reheat it. So you use an iron to transfer it onto the board. Oh, um, huh. So, so if, that, if that were to work really smoothly, that would be a great way to do stuff that was too complicated to do by hand yeah but apparently that is just a total uh, black magic where you have to like you know have an iron with a really specific temperature range and you know do these tricks with a dowel and pressure and all that stuff so, uh-huh. so i was definitely interested because I've, I've ordered pcbs from china they just take a long time to arrive mm-hmm. yeah but they're great and so i was trying to think you know what would the kind of circuit be that you could make that would actually just be really fast. Like you draw it, you know, with a pen and then plop it in the water. So once you have all this stuff, you know, assuming that the, it doesn't take you a long time to draw the PCB. I mean, the whole process is less than an hour, but then I I have not tried to populate it yet, but I think it'll work. Yeah. Yeah, It seems seems totally doable. It's really cool to see that you did this because, um, I've often thought of like, uh, trying to make my own PCB boards, um, but never actually did. Uh So it's great to see that, um, that you did. And also when you were talking about, um, the transistors, the tip one twenties, um, uh-huh. I'm reminded, uh, when I, so I, when I was in, um, grad school, I was in an art and tech program at CalArts and I worked um, mm-hmm. closely with Tom Jennings and I forget what, what I was working on. I was doing something that involved, um, like tip one twenties. Um, and I kept, he kept telling me like, you need to order, don't like stop trying to like salvage uh, old materials. Go and get like a, a um, get like a, you know a, a newer transistor, basically. Um, and I guess I didn't, and I kept because I really want, I really like the idea of like you know resisting that and just kind of like scrapping kind of old devices for for sal- salvageable materials. But he ended up writing a whole yeah. article in response to like <laughs> my, my resistance. <laughs> and I'm going to send you a link because it's really amazing. Oh, excellent. Um, on his very vast <laughs> so, website. So, so, so this was just a, uh, so, so the, um, what am I looking for? The, the, the portal where this write-up happened was his website. It wasn't for a, like an academic paper or something like that? No, no, just his website where, like, you know, um, yeah. he just ended up going on this, like, really amazing, like, rant where he was, like, kind of pitting basically, like, a Tip 120 against, like, MOSFETs. Um, <laughs> he was like, it's, it's like, 10 cents. <laughs> just buy a MOSFET. Um, but I insisted on using a Tip 120. I think I eventually got my project to work. I don't remember what I was working on. But, yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic! Yeah. yeah, this is exactly the stuff I was talking about. Yeah, <laughs> that's. Cool. I want to read that because he, Tom. I mean, Tom's. 
life history is totally interesting and his work is really cool. And he is also like a super rambler restorer. Mm-hmm. So like, it's interesting, like, like as someone who I feel like a lot of his time is probably spent overhauling used parts. It's interesting that the <laughs> tip 120 triggered him in this way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I actually was pretty honored that he wrote that rant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sure. Are, are are you are you called out by name in this uh, in this article? I don't think I am, or but did, I would. Did he allow, allow you to be um, anonymous? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I am, and who knows? Maybe it wasn't like specifically like in relation to me, but um, I like to think of it that way. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, but my guess is he wasn't working with multiple people that all had the uh, <laughs> that all ignited passions regarding the tip one twenty. Yeah. Although I ha- I have to say I am so proud that. Uh, I can tell you guys a story where the punchline is um, tip 120 and everyone says, oh, yeah. And, and in fact, you know, people have their own personal stories about the thing. So it's great. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I have to admit, and let me let me ap- apologize. I was using the term uh, loosely, but I hope that uh, that misgendering didn't come across as inappropriate. So, uh, uh, Dan, is there anything you want to say to sum things up? It's funny because as I was thinking about... Um... I don't know if I'm summing things up or extending the conversation, but <laughs> um, when I was when I was thinking about uh, just coursing through some of um, uh, like ideas and things that were related to kind of like homemade uh, chemicals and chemicals in general and its relationship to kind of like alchemy and, and transforming things in this kind of like amateur driven way, um, three of the things that I the first three things that I thought of one was kind of like you know, biochemical, like, warfare and its relationship to kind of, like, national security. Um, but then I also thought of, like, uh, um, the history of sanitation. So I was thinking a little bit of, of like, um, sewage, basically, as a technology. And Rob kind of uh, covered that in some way or, like, uh, got me there. <laughs> we covered it with sawdust. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the sawdust, like, filled with adhesive, yeah. Um and then the idea of kind of like making, you know, your own boards uh, for things was something that, that, um, that Taylor, you covered. So, um, yeah, so these, these, these were all like really, um, really interesting, uh, in that sense. Nice. I think we had a pretty round approach. Yep. Dan, we've, we've entered the part of the podcast where you get to come up with our next challenge. Oh, <laughs> um, hmm. Um, the next challenge, I think of something mm-hmm. that you haven't yet done. What about uh, security? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's great. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Do, do you feel like? Do you feel like that's? Um, we could we could run if you want with just the word security and sort of see where that takes us, or if you want to add a, a, a an, an adjective or a component to that. We could we could do that, or or if you want to just go with plain old like security and and the and all of its iterations, that that's cool too. Well, maybe we should uh, uh, kind of Ugh. direct it. How about um, uh, crafting security? Oh, oh, okay, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, cool. That's great. Cool. Cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Okay, um, cool. We'll go with that, and then. Um, <laughs> Yeah, cool. I just had an awesome idea pop in my head. So okay. Um, okay, so you can find photos of our finished projects uh, on our project site called projects.opposablepodcast.com. Um, uh, big shout out to our logo designer, Wolfmask. Um, we have 
a logo that I love every time I see it, which is to uh, masked thumbs wrestling. And uh, you can check out his work at wolfmaskart.co.uk. Um, he's a really great person if you need any design work done. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to two new Patreon supporters, Jen and Mike. Um, they're our newest Patreon patrons. Uh, Jen, uh, I checked uh, out with the work she was doing and she hosted a cool podcast called K-pop and beer that, um, I listened to and learned a lot about K-pop stars that I didn't know anything about. So it was really cool. And also beer. And then, um, she also has some really cool designs, uh, work design work in her Etsy store. Uh, Mike is a tech director and a Python developer, uh, who I know fairly well, uh, cause he, uh, works with me. <laughs> uh, he's moving his family from California to Texas this weekend. And he wanted to kick us a few dollars on Patreon because we're helping him stay awake on the road as he drives 12 hours oh, today wow. to get, um, to, I think El Paso or somewhere like that. Um, so he's probably cruising through West Texas right now. So Mike, we, um, we hope you're spotting Bigfoot or something interesting uh, as you plow through one, one of the most, um, no diss to West, West Texas, but one of the most mundane drives uh, you could do <laughs> uh, across that state. Um, so, Jen and Mike, thanks. You, you are now uh, members of the League of Patreon Supporter Badasses. Um, and if anyone else would like to uh, join that, go to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs and you can sponsor us. Uh, we do have a code of conduct here on the site. Um, our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter, or religion. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. And you can check out our full code of conduct over at our site. Um, we do also have some listener feedback. Uh, uh Jen has two recommendations for us. It's a different Jen, not, not the Patreon Jen. Uh, in episode five, we talked quite a bit about bone folders, and she had two online stores she wanted to share with everybody uh, that she really recommends for um, purchasing bone folders and other bookmaking supplies. Um, one of the stores is called Talas, I think, T-A-L-A-S, and another is Hollanders. Have, have y'all ever used any of these beauty these sites? No. Um, yeah, I haven't either. I, I did check them out, and it was really neat. Um it was like so many esoteric items. <laughs> uh, uh, they're both paper book binding and archival um, kind of conservation kind of supply shops. They have some really neat stuff. They sell. One of the things that really struck me was they sell bottles of ox gall. <laughs> and ox gall is the juice squeezed from a, the gall bladder of an ox. <laughs> um, uh, and that is used to what they call it. A, a spreading agent so it makes ink float on top of the water so you can marbleize paper um so you 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 mix the ink i think with the ox gall that makes the ink float stay on the top of the water and i don't know why you wouldn't just use vegetable oil or something but you know ox gall is the jam and then <laughs> and then you dip your paper in it and it marbleizes the uh ink onto the paper so that, that seemed super neat and i was kind of interested in getting some just to see what's up um oh i did um Wonder if if either of you had any cool links or things that you were into that you wanted to share. There are no links, but I can give you the information. I did want to share um, an upcoming event, um, which is an installation by Molly Alice, um, who's a musician and an artist, um, and she has a show coming up, an installation coming up at Occidental College in the Weingart Gallery, and it opens on Thursday, September seventh at seven p.m. 
and it'll be up until October 1st. Um, but the project should be some kind of like interactive exploration of like a take on uh, black holes um, through kind oh. of like cyberspace or like a, as in kind of like a, a um, yeah, like a, yeah, a cyberspatial consideration of uh, black holes, I guess one could say. Wow. That, that's in at Occidental, is that what you said? Yes. Okay, cool. That's right by my house. That's in Los Angeles. Do you do you know? Does that person? Do they have work online? Oh, or anything yes. that people could see. Totally. Let me um, send you a link to Molly's website. Actually. Yeah. Cool. We'll post it in show notes. I think that's all I've got. Oh, um, Dan, do you have anything coming up that you want to share with the world? Um, well, events. Actually, yeah. Um, so the Best Friends Learning Gang uh, is starting next week. Actually, a series of amateur hours on junk science. Um, and, uh, the first one will be part of like a, a, um, in a class and we'll, uh, try, we'll attempt, uh, telepathy by making kind of a homemade EEG helmet to try and test our, our, um, attempts, measure our, our, our attempts, um, in, at telepathy. Um, but after that, we'll do a couple of other like, uh, call-based, you know, junk science workshops throughout the summer, um, on other topics that have yet to be get to be determined, but that have in some way have to do with kind of like either junk science, pseudoscience, or junking science in some way. Awesome. Those will be in, in LA? In LA, yes. And I'll, I'll definitely yeah, post, cool. uh, sign out, kind of um, worry about that. Great. Yeah. And if people want to check out um, the Best Friends Learning Gang website, it's thebestfriendslearninggang.info. Correct. Uh, and the site is is awesome and uh, so i'm excited to see what comes out of those uh workshops and what comes up what ends up on the site so it's cool uh dan thanks for so much for being a guest on opposable thumbs episode seven home homemade chemicals um (laughs) it's been really great to to have you on and hear all the stuff that you're up to uh and also thanks for uh crafting security uh (laughs) which i'm gonna get started on as soon as i hang up <laughs> uh, so yeah so uh yeah thanks again great well thanks um thanks to both of you actually because this was really fabulous and I'm, I'm psyched that i got to be part of it um, so yeah yeah first 10 episodes you're like an og now <laughs> great instant og love it <laughs> thanks again for coming on yeah thanks We should have um we should have like a safe word for things that have been on the podcast before. Like um let's see, what could what could we we could we could use um earlobe. Yeah, yeah, that's good.